I'm Alexia Russell and welcome to The Detail's Long Read. This week, something special. Because 2023 marks the 50th anniversary of Bad Jelly the Witch. Now, anywhere else in the world you'd probably be asking, what witch? But in New Zealand, we apparently have a strong connection, a particular affiliation with the Spike Milligan story that apparently is not shared in the rest of the world. Some of us have what might be termed an obsession, including bad jellyologist Gemma Gracewood, who's written a five-part series about it on The Sapling, a children's literature website. She's here with me today to read parts one and two and to be quizzed on her special interest. And a warning, knickers may get a mention in this podcast. (laughs) Gemma, welcome to the details. Long read. Thank you, kia ora. It's a pleasure to be here. I think we should also probably warn that bare bottoms might be <gasps> might be mentioned as well. <laughs> what is it about bad jelly that's so magical? Oh my goodness me, what isn't magical about two gorgeous siblings who who set off on an incredible adventure to find their missing, kidnapped, stolen cow and meet, you know, a, a worm that's strong and a, a an eagle that wears pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's that nostalgia thing, right? We we all grew up with it here. And so it's in our DNA as much as Dave Dobbin and the All Blacks. Yeah. Is it the book or the recording? I would say it's definitely the recording. Definitely for New Zealanders. Because lots of us can do, you know, every time you have a friend called Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> yeah. Can you recite it off by heart? Almost. Almost, yeah. My seven-year-old can do all the voices now too. And so so it is that thing where it's the recording and then if you have the book and you're reading the book aloud to your child, you, you sort of do it in the Spike Milligan version. Channel Spike. Yeah. That's awesome. And also he made some changes, didn't he? Because you will not read Knickers, Knickers, Knickers in the book. You won't read Knickers, Knickers, Knickers in the book and you won't read a certain racist sentiment that made it into the recording, unfortunately, about the size of somebody's legs. Um, yeah, he made a few changes along the way because he was an improv king. And the book is handwritten. You would think that would put people off. It can be a little bit hard to read all that loopy kind of writing. I think that's what's special about it, is yeah. that there's a there's a there's such a personal touch. And I guess we'll find a little bit of that out in the reading to come in terms of Spike Milligan's own place, especially in, in British and Irish comedy, and therefore the sense that you're reading Spike's own handwriting and what that's all about. Now, you've been in touch with Spike's daughter, Jane. Yes. Was there a Spike echo there? Because, you know, growing up with such a storyteller for your dad must have been quite special. Oh, a thousand percent. Jane was so much fun to talk to and is so much fun to talk to. We're still um, occasionally tweet or X at each other or or drop each other emails. And, um, you know, she's, yes, she's definitely a silly sausage, as are her (laughs) siblings. And her drawing's in the front of the book. Her drawing, so the drawing uh, drawing by Jane Milligan, age six, is in the front of the book. Um, But her sister, her big sister, Laura, who lives in Australia, now has actually gone on to, with Penguin Books, the same publisher, write a few other witchy young adult novels that extend the universe of Bad Jelly. So they're all in it, the Milligans. Yeah. They're all deep in it. Yeah. Now, speaking of Penguin Books, one of the interesting things was that when New Zealand was trying to get 
a reprint of the book. Penguin England and Penguin New Zealand had quite different views on how popular that would be. Quite different views, quite different views. And it's a beautiful story about the people behind the children's bookshop in Wellington being approached in the 90s by the Gen X, you know, children of the 70s who were now having children themselves and wanting to read Bad Jelly to their children and not being able to find it. Um, and so constantly coming into the bookshop going, do you have Bad Jelly the Witch? And and the children's bookshop people were like, we don't, let's find out. And, and wrote a letter and said, can you reprint this? We keep getting asked about it. And, the, and Penguin UK were like, oh, it's weird and it's got too much personality. And I think that comes back to that handwriting aspect to it. And so they just went ahead and did it in New Zealand with Spike's manager Norma's approval. Did she not feel that? in New Zealand that anyone would notice. Pretty much. <laughs> she was like, do what you want down there as long as yeah. we're getting royalties, which they did for years yeah. and still do for years. Was Spike a rule bender? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and not just a rule bender, but he had this hilarious um, respect for and disdain for authority because he was always sort of in the wars with the BBC. I've got a collection of Spike Milligan, which is poetry and letters back and forth with the head of the BBC arguing about whether God should be part of Bad Jelly the Witch. And, you know, because because there's this, you know, massive deus ex machina that happens at the end, right, where God's finger comes down and explodes bad jelly and off she goes. <laughs> and the children and Jim the Eagle and Dingle Mouse actually had nothing to do with it, but they were very brave. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, there were lots of arguments back and forth, but the arguments themselves are inherently funny. And I think because it was Spike, the people in positions of authority would also be very funny in their letters with him. I guess imagining that one day their letters would end up in Spike's books. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think God was seen as the ultimate superhero or it was just he was getting sick of it and he wanted to end the thing quickly? (laughs) Oh, I think a little bit of both. Definitely because Bad Jelly, along with a lot of Spike's other children's stories, but Bad Jelly in particular was an end of the bed out loud story that he and the children made up over a number of years. And then it's the one that eventually became fulsome enough for him to write into a book. Um, but you can sort of, as a parent, like as a child, I didn't notice this, but as a parent, you can see that moment where it's like, oh, my goodness, it's quarter past nine. Please, children, go to sleep so I can eat some ice cream and watch some TV. Fair enough. So here comes God. <laughs> Interesting you should talk about the, the conversations with the BBC because there's a hilarious recording floating around somewhere of Hewitt Humphrey reading the news and Spike opening the door. And called, Help, let me out. <laughs> President, Mr Don Mackenzie, says will be presented to Parliament. Cabinet will be looking at the Drivers' Federation case for a new award as a result of a meeting this morning between the Federation and the Government. Excuse me. Your five-part series on the sapling goes into quite a lot of depth. You know, what was your biggest discovery while you were researching it? Ah, I think the discovery of really how important bad jelly has been, and this is a really unusual thing to say, to the growth of Aotearoa children's literature. Because it is so compelling and kids love to hear it, in the sort of Dick Weir ZB and then National Radio Sunday Morning Days through to the 95 BFM Kids Show, it is requested over and over and over again. It's 23 minutes long. It takes up a lot of the show. So they can't play it every week, but they know it's a golden ticket. Dick Weir described it as his, his, you know, piece of gold in his back pocket that would keep listeners coming back so that he could then 
you know, throw a little Patricia Grace in there or a little Margaret Mahi in there. And he would go off and produce local stories to put into the show alongside Bad Jelly. So that beautiful mm. thing, like, kind of like, I don't know, Ed Sheeran comes to New Zealand, you get a local band to support. Mm. And then all the people, 60,000 people have paid to see Ed Sheeran see that local band where they wouldn't have been able to fit into Whammy Bar or whatever. So this beautiful thing, and, and the same thing on the 95 BFM Kids Show today where they they play a lot of Captain Festus McBoyle and Little Lips and Anika Moa and... And the kids have come for Bad Jelly and they stay for the local. I think for me that was the biggest discovery. Because we have got a massive children's book industry, haven't we? Yes, it is huge and it's, and it's you know, and, and that's one of the reasons that the sapling was born. I, I don't know a lot about I didn't actually know a lot about it as the mother of a three-year-old when they came knocking at my door to write this thing. And then when I jumped on the website, I was like, oh, this is like, this is, you know, you, you, you will never get to the bottom Actually, if you start on a journey through Aotearoa children's literature, yeah. yeah. Tell me about the design of the CD, the story <gasps> that involves. Am I allowed to say this on. on radio? It's a bit naughty. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, with that, uh, that that you know, the Gen Xers coming through and having babies in the nineties and wanting to build that connection with Bad Jelly for their children that they had. Um, you know, for, for, for us 70s kids, we had it on the radio. But you get to the 90s and, you know, deregulation and all the things, children's radio and advertising-less radio is disappearing, but we don't yet have streaming. And so where do you find Spike's Bad Jelly recording? And Ed Welch, I should add, who composed the music and is a genius. A very smart chap by the name of Nathan Graves, who was at, uh, working at a record company at the time, saw the book sales of this new edition of the book rising and went, hmm, there's something in this. What about if we reissue the recording? Well, issue the recording, because it was only ever released on vinyl in mm. the 70s. And so he he got the rights again, you know, got in touch with Spike Milligan's people and um, had it put on CD and they were like, well, how do we design this? I know. Let's put the rear of Fluffy Bum the Cat on the circle of the CD, and as you know, there's a hole in the middle to put your finger in, <laughs> to put it into the CD player, say no more. Very, but exactly the kind of silly touch that needed yeah. to, needs to be in every single iteration of, you know, anything that Spike Milligan has, has touched, really. I bet you most people don't notice that until it Probably not. is yeah. said. I know. And now you've said it. Now you've said it. You've put oh. your finger in the fluffy bums. <laughs> yes. Why do you think this story particularly appeals to Kiwis? Because the CD didn't come out in the UK, did it? No. You know, I had to post one to my sister-in-law at my brother's request. So it's, you know, it's so very British. It is so very British, you know. There's milking cows and, I mean, (laughs) we have a lot of milking cows, but, you know, castles and, Yeah. yeah, eagles and policemen as apple trees. It's so true and this is something that I tried to explore in the story and... I really think it's it is that connection to Spike's performance and the kind of sense of humour we've grown up with. Like we're so lucky in Aotearoa to have this incredible blend of the very British, you know, uh, goons and Monty Python and the Young Ones and the Mighty Bush, and then um, American sitcomery, and then our own very unique Pacific kind of self mockery culture and all of those things coming together you know we 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 just we love silly sausagery it's it's part of our sense of humor (laughs) all right Gemma such a pleasure to talk to you here's Gemma Gracewood reading parts one and two of the Bad Jelly Chronicles published on thesapling.co.nz in 2020 
Spike Milligan's Bad Jelly the Witch tells the hilarious and terrifying story of Tim and Rose, only six and five years old, searching for their lost cow in the woods, who was kidnapped by the self-proclaimed baddest witch in all the world. So bad, she turns policemen into apple trees and argues with God. God! Tim and Rose only escaped the heritable fate of boy-girl soup through the quick thinking of Dingle Mouse, who was once a banana, and whose friend Jim the Eagle is not only big and strong, but also owes him money. Bad Jelly the Witch is a distinctly anglophilic story with its milking cow, castle, jam sandwiches and porridge, yet it met its greatest success on the other side of the world. Bad Jelly has been the most requested story on New Zealand radio. Book sales exceed 100,000. A stage adaptation is the most licensed New Zealand play ever. And most wonderfully, generations of New Zealand children can recite the story back to front. I was born the year Bad Jelly the Witch was published, which feels about right. Spike was part of our family long before me, courtesy of The Goon Show, which mum and dad and the big kids listen to on NZBC's 2YA. Nowadays, you'd call it RNZ National. Nobody has ever played with the medium of radio quite like the goons. They were the most famous and influential comedy collective to come out of 1950s Britain and remain a huge influence for comedians today. They were the soundtrack to John Lennon's early teens. Monty Python are indebted to them. Eddie Izzard, also known as Susie, would likely not exist without them. Their surreal humour helped post-war England loosen up, and while founding members Peter Sellers, Harry Seccombe and Michael Benteen are without peer, it was their creative ringleader Spike Milligan who sat above even them in terms of comic genius. The Goons certainly had a strong influence on our family. We had a succession of pet budgies named after Goon characters, including Eccles, a Milligan character, and Blue Bottle, voiced by Peter Sellers. And we regularly exclaimed, He's fallen in the water! when Dad splattered into the pool. Many of Spike's books have sat on our shelves for decades. He wrote and wrote and wrote letters and limericks, plays and prose, silly verse for children, serious poems for grown ups. His complex life laid out in words, a literal open book. When Spike's singular, spectacular recorded version of Bad Jelly the Witch hit the airwaves in the 1970s, Binklebonk's Oh, yes, I can! joined our family sayings, and we were all most certainly silly sausages. As I revisit the story for the 110th bajillionth time with my four year old, my adult brain has questions that never occurred to my child mind. Why did Jim the Eagle borrow money from Dingle Mouse? And when Bad Jelly bursts like a bomb, why is her magic not reversed as in other fairy tales? It's clear it isn't, because Dingle Mouse is still a mouse, not a banana. <laughs> and somewhere out there is a very law-abiding apple tree. The biggest question of all is why Bad Jelly the Witch became so huge in Aotearoa without ever achieving celebrity in her homeland. It seems she's reached every corner of New Zealand, Yet in the UK and Ireland, the book is no longer published, the plays are rarely performed, and barely anybody remembers the audio recording. Bad Jelly the Witch smacks in the very best way of made-upness. Jane Milligan, Spike's fourth child, says, You don't know when you're little that there are far crappier bedtime stories. That was the level I was getting, top quality bedtime story action. 
She's the one to whom Bad Jelly the Witch is dedicated, and the books have always included an illustration by Jane Milligan, age six, of Jim the Eagle with Tim, Rose and Dingle Mouse on his back, Bad Jelly in hot pursuit, with her cat and her keys aboard her broomstick. Jane says, I can remember him asking me to do that drawing. I remember the paper. I remember the pens were used. When I tell people I'm going to chat to Jane, who lives in London and is an actor and writer, they naturally want to know what it must have been like to have Spike Milligan as your dad. I tell Jane this, adding that it's an odd question because really, you don't know that you're growing up with Spike Milligan for a dad, do you? Isn't he just dad? You're the first person who's ever said that, which is brilliant, Jane says down the line from London. First of all, I never had any other dad, so I don't know any different. That was what I got. I got that dad. My dad just happened to be Spike. Jane's mum, Paddy Ridgway, from whom she gets her musical theatre genes, married Spike, from whom she gets her funny bone, when he was a solo father with full custody of three young children, Laura, Sean and Sile. Later, a son and a daughter from two more mothers would expand the family. Bedtimes in the Milligan household were magical. Spike had rigged up a huge blackboard across the whole wall of the children's nursery. Jane recalls, if you were still awake when he got in, he would tell a story with chalk drawings to go with it. The imagination and the words and characters were so incredibly exciting and stimulating and vivid. It was just like Spielberg right there, a movie in your head. Bad Jelly, she says, was nailed down when I was about five or six. She was probably the combination of all the best of all the stories he'd been telling to all four of us throughout our formative years. Spike readily pulled details into the story from real life. Tim and Rose's cat Fluffy Bum was named after the Milligan family cat. And there's a story going around eye specialist circles that Bad Jelly's name comes from Bad Jelly, vitreous fluid that's gone clumpy, tears at the retina, and results in retinal detachment in the eye. Huge, if true. So what was it like to have Spike Milligan for a dad? He was a great dad, Jane affirms. He just had a very nice vibe. He was an incredible visionary, a compassionate human being. Very strong as a dad, morally, for me as a kid. He never spoke to you like you were an idiot. He just spoke to you like you were on the level. It was total respect and full excitement. There were painful times, she says, agonies with the ecstasies. Spike was famously prone to depression. His experiences in World War II had taken their toll, as you can glean from his series of memoirs, the first volume of which is entitled Adolf Hitler, My Part in His Downfall. Other people's memoirs suggest he could be bracingly curt, wildly unpredictable, argumentative, even nasty. But only around other adults. Jane says when he was down, he would just go to bed and watch TV and eat ice cream and be down. He was very sensitive, a beautiful person. He just used everything he had and poured it down his arm, into his pen, onto the page. He only ever really wanted us to be happy, just be free, enjoy. You're not always going to win the race. At some point in Jane's childhood, Spike committed Bad Jelly the Witch to paper in his playful handwriting, with drawings of majestic Mudwiggle the mud-eating worm, tiny Binklebonk the tree goblin, lovely Lucy the cow, handsome Jim the eagle, ten-eyed Dullboot the giant. The illustrations fizz with kinetic energy. The first edition was published in 1973, but the real fun would begin the following year. In 1974, when Spike Milligan stepped into the studio to record an audio version of Bad Jelly the Witch, 
He had a good two decades worth of radio comedy performance under his belt, and he'd heavily road tested the out loud version at his children's bedsides. Any level-headed goon fan would bet on a Bad Jelly LP turning out very, very well. What lifts the record into the sublime is Milligan's vocal work, his characterizations, sound effects and on-the-spot improvisations that imply all manner of intriguing backstories. The bit where the shark complains, this is going to ruin the act. The existence of Bear Bottom Land and most memorably, Stinky Poo, Stinky Poo, Nickers, Nickers, Nickers. Artist and curator Finn McCann-Jones programmed Bad Jelly the Witch countless times during his legendary 21-year stint hosting the kids' show on Auckland radio station 95BFM. He says there's a raw quality to Milligan's performance that adds to the charm. He forgets to change his voice between characters, Finn says. It just makes him so real, him running out of breath or him banging his fist on the lectern when Dullboot comes in. There's so many moments that I realise you have to be so comfortable with performing to be able to let those things slide. Because any one of us would just retake the edit. But often, the life dies when you do that. Without a doubt, the other magic ingredient is Ed Welch's score. Bad Jelly the Witch begins with the warm strains of a string section as Spike introduces Tim and Rose. Soon we hear the children's theme, a cherry leitmotif in the people's key of C. It's an all-purpose family tune. Mum blows it on her trombone. Pom-Pom the puppy dog plays it on the piano with his tail. A flute accompanies Tim and Rose as they walk down to see Lucy the cow. Later, it dramatically steps up to an unresolved note. Danger is imminent. Then tumbles into a cacophony of percussion as Bad Jelly's own terrifying theme erupts all around. Now an energetic chap in his 70s, Welch has a CV as tall as one of Dullboot's legs. Stars like Cilla Black and Shirley Bassey sang his songs. He composed scores for classic British sex farces and once co-wrote a Eurovision Song Contest entry for Iceland. He's composed many television theme tunes for children's series, sitcoms and game shows. And hold on to your caps while I tell you this. Ed wrote the iconic Thomas the Tank Engine theme song. But back when he met Milligan, Ed was a recently graduated, not quite somebody in his mid-twenties, looking for a break. I was classically trained at Trinity College, he tells me, from his home in South Devon. He'd expected to spend his career teaching music, but with a knack for composing and arranging, he soon jumped ship to United Artists Music, getting himself amongst the pop and theatrical music scene of the late 60s. One day in the United Artists' office, discussion turned to a packet of poems that a certain Spike Milligan had sent in, searching for somebody to help him put them to music. Young Ed was dismissed as too green, but in one of those quick-thinking moments that can change a life, he took a peek at the envelope, noted down Spike's address, and wrote to him independently. The cheek of it. Months of nothing went by. Then Milligan's agent Norma Farns got in touch to say, come in and meet Spike. Ed remembers, he quickly took me under his wing. We never, ever had a row. And it became a decades-long collaboration. Bad Jelly was one of their earliest projects and led to more than 60 episodes of the kids' series Wolves, Witches and Giants, a divine version of the Snow Goose, and much more. 1974 being a long time ago now, Ed's memory of the Bad Jelly recording is patchy, but he says it was a quick job, easy, and very, very funny. My wife Jane would have typed out the relevant bit of script onto the music score and we stuck it on with sellotape. We had about 20 pages like that, he says. 
There were a lot of technical things to consider. Timing, not overwhelming the voice. There were bits where Spike actually stood in his booth with the orchestra around him because it was very vital, the timing, at one point. We needed to get it exactly right. The orchestra would get themselves into trouble, giggling over Spike's improvisations and have to start over. Ed says, when you've finished a work and you sit back and listen, you know instantly whether it's going to be good. He knew Bad Jelly was very, very good right away. He says the energy that Spike put into the narration is extraordinary. There was, however, one bit where Spike's vocal talents failed him, when the tin lion goes, oh dear, all this rain is making me rusty. Ed himself had to come to the rescue, voicing the raw, raw, squeak, squeak bit. The record was released with a wonderful B-side collection of songs, both silly, such as On the Ning Nang Nong, and outrageously romantic, specifically, I've Got That Photograph of You. Once you learn that Spike's wife Paddy, Jane's mother, was diagnosed with breast cancer around the time of Bad Jelly's birth and died when Jane was just 12, it's very difficult to listen to that song without your heart breaking. I've got that photograph of you, it's in my head, and it won't ever fade away. In New Zealand, the Bad Jelly the Witch record was a straight-up hit. I asked some friends, OK, everyone I know on social media, for their Bad Jelly memories, and it was like watching Binklebonk's tree grow bigger and bigger and bigger as the childhood flashbacks sprang forth. They wrote of curling up in Grandma's Lazy Boy to listen, of climbing high onto my father's wood-turning lathe to switch on his big old radiogram thing, of parents dubbing the record onto cassette for long car journeys, of lying on the couch with a broken leg playing bad jelly again and again and again, of cousins from over the road swinging by for a listen. That was Gemma Gracewood reading the first two of her five-part series about Bad Jelly the Witch on The Sapling. The details long read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. And we'll be back next week with another long read, possibly a more serious long read. Kaki te anō.